Good morning, everybody. This is Editor Taylor chiming in. I wanted to start off in a particularly Jasonian fashion, and that is with an apology. Uh, Jason and I had gotten together to record this session at 4, 4.30 in the morning about a week ago, the only time he and I both were available to talk. But um, I guess the coffee hadn't kicked in yet because I, in a fit of silliness, forgot to put my microphone down uh, and recorded on a single channel avenue. So my voice was super quiet. His voice uh, was audible. I've manipulated the waves. I have fixed that, I believe. The sound quality is definitely salvageable, but it is not up to my usual par. So please enjoy the episode and forgive me for my misgivings. Uh, next time, I will stick to recording during the daylight hours. Happy Christmas, everybody. Welcome back to a special episode of the Clearxware Ringmail podcast. Uh, the holiday season is upon us, and I don't know about your family, but in mine, one of the key things that ties the holiday together is holiday film and watching those holiday films around the fire with your family. So, who better to talk to about film and film tradition than the one, the only, Anchor Siri himself, Jason of Nerds Variety Cast. How are you doing this morning, Jason? Doing great. How are you doing? I am doing about as bright as I can. It is a dark and early morning, and I am excited to talk about holiday films, or at least films that uh, we dot our holidays with. So... Yeah, I, I'm very happy that you invited me to join you for this. The you, you know when we talk about holiday films, and here we're kind of mainly talking about Christmas films. There's really three categories of films that the way I see it, and I'll be interested to get your take on this. But you have films that are actually about the nativity, the birth of Christ, which would be like, and there aren't really that many. But you, you might have like Veggie Tales, a little drummer boy, right? And then we have films that are about Christmas the holiday, whether that's the secular holiday or the religious holiday. And here we have, you could have Char a Charlie Brown Christmas, you could have, you know, the best little Christmas pageant ever, things like that. Uh, although, arguably, the best, so the best little Christmas pageant ever, Loretta Swit TV movie, probably straddles those first two categories. And then your third category would be movies that happen during Christmas, but aren't necessarily about Christmas. And this would be every Shane Black movie ever, you know, from Lethal Weapon to Iron Man 3, and, of course, Die Hard, and, and all these other movies that ha occurred during that season. Um, yeah, but so, I, do so think, I, don't... I do think the listeners will agree that uh, Lethal Weapon is probably the, uh, the, most, uh, the most important Christmas movie ever made. So. I, I'm sure there's a big contingent out there of Die Hard fans that would 
would argue with you there. Yeah, we, I, I think Die Hard may have that. I, although neither of those are my favorite action Christmas movie, but but we'll come to that later we'll on. We'll come to that later, and I, then I will forego my joke of uh, I will have them call in, and then I'll bring you back on to disagree. <laughs> oh, we can do that. Yeah, that'll be fun. So we'll see what happens. So how about I will uh, I will let you kick it off. Uh, you are my special guest. Thank you for coming. And how about if you would like, you can kick it off uh, with your first holiday film of the season okay and so when this was initially pitched when we talked about it we talked about movies that were traditions that we watched every year and so that's kind of influenced my list here and i've cheated a little bit but this first one definitely gets watched every year and that's a charlie brown christmas and a charlie brown christmas is a 65 animated yes tv special yeah it's half an hour but i'm but but i consider it in here because it's a holiday tradition the Grinch and, is half an hour, so half an hour is a valid one. Yeah. And I think a Charlie Brown Christmas really, you know, it it really hits a lot of great notes in there. We, we And, you know, people talk about the commercials. Yeah, can't say the word. How Christmas has been turned into a commercial thing and, and a secular holiday, all this kind of thing. And it, which is kind of interesting when you think about it, because when you actually look at and. I guess when we say Christian, you have to air quotes a little bit because there's so many different beliefs and yeah, it's such a huge tent. But I think most would probably agree that your most important Christian holiday it, or feast day would be Pascha or Easter here in the West, where somebody that's not familiar with Christianity would think it's Christmas just because of how commercial is. Christmas is. Yeah. Um, which started probably in the mid 19th century with the first Christmas card when this started, the whole commercial thing started rolling. But Charlie Brown Christmas in 65 tried to fight against this some, and, and that's kind of a big push of it. You know, what is Christmas really about? And, you know, we even have, you know, we have a, a, a Bible reading in there. We have, you, you know, we have some great things in Charlie Brown Christmas, great music. Um, and, and it reaches out. One thing it does that other Chris, a lot of other children's shows didn't do is you actually had kids voicing the characters. And we have a main character, Charlie Brown, who a lot of people can identify with and doesn't. I don't know if he ever wins, really. I mean, he's, you know, he's always. <laughs> but but that's that's part that's where it's actually reaching out to giving kids something they can identify with, you, you know, so. Yeah, so Charlie Brown Christmas is definitely my my number one thing, and it's definitely watched every year. Yep, we've we've watched it at least once this year. Uh, the film, I don't know if it's legal or not, but the film is up on uh, several streaming platforms in chunks. So we've watched it on stream. It uh, the boys like the singing, the boys like the musical parts, and then when they start talking, uh, my my twin toddlers run off and do something else. But mm -hmm. the, last year. We couldn't even get them to stare at the screen, so uh, it's a step in the right direction. But. Yeah, it it is. If if people have Apple TV, Apple has picked up all the um, the main movies. So you know, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, and it you know, it's great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown Christmas. All those are on Apple TV, and actually, they're on there for free, which you oh, can okay. get Apple TV on other streams. Like I have a Roku hooked up to my TV, and we have Apple TV on that. And so you can act, you and the Charlie Brown movies are free on there. So you might have to create an account with Apple. Oh, nice! But there's no cost. That's fun. So maybe maybe I didn't pirate it after all. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very big on Christmas as faith and family in that order. So I'm I'm a big fan of that film. Um, 
I, I especially like the highlight uh, where they kind of frame uh, Linus reading uh, reading scripture. So mm -hmm. that was something that, if I remember correctly, I was trying to look up some trivia for the film before we were talking about it, but I was unable to find this verified. Tell me if you've heard this. The producers actually pushed back against it, and the uh, the author, uh, Charles uh, Charles Schultz, he had to push very hard uh, to keep that re the scripture in the film. The uh, the producers and the network that uh, that produced it wanted to embrace the secular and to try just try to make a fun kids movie and charles schultz had like you said intentionally had to fight and keep the keep the movie on message for where he wanted to go so. mm -hmm. that, that's yes I, I i've heard that before and read that before that that was a big you know it was a it was quite controversial you know, which, I mean, you would think it's funny because we look back at now, you know, oh, the 60s. Well, that was a very conservative time. Well, actually, at least as far as mainstream goes, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, you had the counterculture movement. You had, the, you know, hippies. You had all kinds of things happen during the 60s, really. But but people think of it. But really, and, and actually, there, here's a quote here. Um, in the 60s, and there's a quote off of Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page for Charlie Brown Christmas but during the production, in the production part of that. But it says, in the 60s, fewer than 9% of television Christmas episodes contained a substantial reference to religion. Um, and, yeah. and Schultz, like you, you know, he wanted to be about nativity. He wanted to be about, you know, what, what this feast day is supposed to be about. Mm -hmm. and, and and so he pushed for that. And, and it ended up being, I, I don't know how, how it was received initially. Of course, now it's a a big hit in a tradition. Um, but I was trying to look here and it, I mean, it's obviously riveting when, when we're looking things up during the broad, broadcast, but it did get, it did get positive reviews during the, after it was shown, it looks like, um, and, and it was well, well received. Um, yep. but yep. yeah, he did have to fight to include the, the scripture. You know, the faith parts in there, yeah, yeah, the reading and yeah. all in there, yep. Which, which makes sense, because if you think about it, the, the Christmas holiday falls at the end of the fourth quarter, and so if we want to, if we want to wrap up in the black for the year, we have to, we have to try to encourage sales, so that's probably where mm -hmm. that comes from, but... More importantly, uh, there is a second Charlie Brown film that I seem to remember that came out in 1992. The It's Christmas Time Again, Charlie Brown. Have you seen that one? I don't think I have. So my Charlie Brown, mm -hmm. I, I I did see that in there. I think there's another one too. Hmm. Uh, um, there, there's I, I think there are a number of Peanuts Christmas specials out there. But to to be honest, my my watching of TV and things dropped off some so i went so i watched a lot in the 80s and then i went in the army and then mm -hmm. you know obviously dropped off uh, quite a bit um, they don't do charlie and, brown and ever in the since army? Yeah, you, you don't say well <laughs> you, you know it's uh, it's not that they don't but i i my uh, makes sense my watching kind of dropped off so but yeah so i have not seen that one i i've you know and my go-to are all these the older ones that makes sense. Sure. So you say yeah. that a friend of mine, um, the, uh, the the reason I bring up the the newer one uh, is that 
the the newer one, despite being made, pri- uh, so Charles Schultz passed in the year two thousand. Uh, mm-hmm. But so he's been gone for a while. But the Peanuts, it's Christmas time again, came out in ninety two. So Schultz was alive. So I don't know if he was, uh, he was he was the writer, but uh, this the this newer special seems to avoid the same. Uh, religious overtone there's still the there's still a religious element in that it's the christmas holiday but it's it's to quote a uh, to quote the holiday hound uh, a reviewer on imdb the original christmas special incorporated religious themes which was expected to sink its ratings that never happened the, the latest version avoids such ties and seems to reflect Schultz's own journey towards humanism, which he himself acknowledged. By casting off the deeper emotional and cultural underpinnings, it was inevitable that that what would result would be a less classic holiday special. So, mm. so I think uh, Holiday Hound, thank you for your uh, thank you for your very well uh, written quote. The religious theme is what made the movie stick. I think that's what made it stick out. So I can vouch there's actually a Peanuts YouTube channel, and it's pu- it puts out new content all the time and tries to make you subscribe to, I think, a premium version. But it uh, it has a couple uh, Christmas things that were, I think, direct to YouTube, uh, which which we watched for a while. It we turn i turn on the electric babysitter uh that is our smart tv <laughs> and we uh we let the boys just go for a while so there is a there's a lot of stuff going on but i agree with you i think the uh i think the 65 version was a diamond and it is the uh it is the special the special one out of the out of the bunch so, so. yeah w- w- without a doubt Did, now were we going to go back and forth or do you want to you want me to go down my list? Nah, we'll go back and forth. That'll keep uh, okay. that'll keep the mm-hmm. listeners engaged, and we'll jump into my first pick. So my my first my first pick for the holiday season is uh, an equally embedded part of Americana, something that is something that's very part of the spirit of the holiday for people on this side of the Atlantic. Uh, a film called Rare Exports. My wife bought me this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jason's laughing because he's seen it. Uh, the film, uh, spoiler-free synopsis, uh, the film takes place in the Korvatunturi Mountains. That is in Lapland. It's the border between Finland and Russia, where uh, the entire film is in Russia, is in Finnish, so the film is dubbed. Uh, and the premise is an archaeological dig, uh, led by an American, humorously enough, is is going on in the Russian side of the border, or just over the border from Russia, and a young uh, sheep herder uh, is, uh, discovers that the, discovers a dark secret that they found under the ice uh, in the form of naked bearded men running through the woods. So that's, that's a uh, spoiler free, isn't it, Jason? Uh, yep, yeah, I, I would say so. Yeah, I would, I would stop there. But yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting movie. It's a, a a different take on on Christmas. It's actually really well done. And uh, you know, I I quite enjoyed it. You know, when I when it came out. Now this came out in like 2010. I probably saw it the the following year. But it it, it became a you know among horror. Now this it it it's not. I, I don't. It, it it would probably be classified as a horror movie um, to some degree, 
So, yeah. and, and that's, those are the circles I heard of it, you know, where I first heard about it was through horror circles. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's definitely on the lighter side of horror circles or, of horror yeah. movies. Um, yep. Sort of a mix yeah. of a uh, holiday and, and horror. Um, mm-hmm. so we found it, we had a group of friends, uh, in college and 2010, we were still in Georgia. And so we were still talking to them yet. Uh, they, we had a friend who, who really enjoyed watching B, B movies and uh, other mystery science theater bait. And so she went online and she found this and we picked it up from, I can't remember if we picked it up from Amazon directly or if we, or if we picked it up from a, uh, there was a, a, sh- a shop called the video warehouse that all, that had a big B movie section. And I'm, I found they, they no longer exist, which makes me sad. But so yeah, we found this, we took it home and, it was funny enough. It was it was funny enough that uh, in its own way that we that it became part of our part of our holiday. So. Yeah, yeah. We 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 don't watch it. It's been a couple of years since I watched it. It's probably time to rewatch it. But it's definitely <laughs> a yeah. It's a fun movie. It is, and it's it's one of the ones that I may actually not get to watch this year because uh, some of the. Our DVD player, uh, I, I famously joke, uh, my one of my one of my children fed it a cookie. Uh, it does not; it no longer opens. So I still need to buy a new DVD player to get back to these. The only the only way I've been able to watch uh, Christmas movies this year is in the back of our uh, in the back of our family car. So with the boys back there, uh, we've been limited to Chipmunks and some Christmas Carol incarnations in the Sesame Street Christmas special, but I digress. The important part is, do you, the listener, want to find out what happens with naked bearded men in the wilderness speaking Finnish? Watch Rare Exports, A Christmas Tale. So, and I'll pass it back to you. Okay. I Originally, so I'll, I'll do a, a um, rapid fire of movies that almost made this list <laughs> at the end. Since we... We were just talking about one before we started recording, but I actually bumped that off my list, hmm. and we'll leave the listeners suspense because when we talk about movies that are watched every year, I I, I have to I'm going to replace it with The Thin Man. Now The Thin Man's a 1934 movie that stars William Powell and Myrna Loy yeah, as not, Nick and Nora Charles. Yeah, not to be confused with that uh, video game character that scares people in the woods. So very different yeah, film. Yep, yeah, very much. This is a movie that was actually based on a, a novel written by Dashiell Hammett, who wrote like the Maltese Falcon and, and all those. But the, the Thin Man is basically you have this husband and wife detective team who are drinking their way through solving mysteries. And, and it, it was really it, it was a really big hit. And there's there's like six of these things as they go on. The first three are worth watching. Then they get kind of they lower in quality after that. The Thin Man of the title is actually the victim in this movie. It's not the main character. It's not William Powell. It's actually the, the guy that gets killed. And then, but later on the name becomes identified with Nick Charles. Who's the, the detective. It's, it's a, it's just a fun series of watching these two. You know, it's just one of these, the banner back between the banner back and forth between this married couple's great. It, you know, like say, as they're going through and, you know, multiple times, William Powell talked about how, this detect this detecting and the, and this murder thing is getting in the way of his drinking. He's a retired detective who married Nora, who's rich, and, and actually she's 
presented fairly positively through most of this, you know, for a thirties film, um, for people that get tied up around things like that, about the way people portrayed in older movies. This actually does a pretty good job. Um, Waiter, will you serve the nuts? I mean, will you serve the guests? Yep. Yeah. Just lots of great one-liners back and forth, rapid fire. Um, and they have a really, you know, really great rapport between them, between them. You have a great dog in there. If you're into dog, has Skippy, who was, the, uh, a really famous dog actor. I was actually was about, in this. I was going to bring that up if you didn't. It's everyone's. It's my favorite actor in the film, uh, Asta, mm-hmm. the wire fox yep. terrier, playing uh, Skippy, uh, retired in 1941, uh, believed to be probably two or three years old at the time of filming. So. Yeah. So, but yeah. So if if you haven't seen this, if there are people out there that won't watch black and white movies for whatever reason, and they're missing out. But the, so the only, the caveat I'll give is it opens up with the mystery, and actually you don't watch this movie for the mystery. You watch it for the interpersonal relations between Nick and Nora. So so just get through the first five minutes or so where it's doing the mystery part. If you don't really catch catch what's going on with the plot, it doesn't really matter. It just get through that till you get to the main characters, and, and then enjoy the the ride. But all these films had. You know, some mystery set up, they get drawn into it, they, they drink their way through solving it, and then at the end, they, they do the scene where they get everybody together around a table or all the suspects in a room and do the big thing where they slowly eliminate people until the guilty one pops out and says, oh, I'm it. Um, a, something that Clue, uh, yeah, 50 years later, would take a nod from. Right. Yeah. N- notable in this, other actors notable in this, um, Cesar Romero, who did the Joker and the Bat, you know, the Adam West Batman, he is, he's in this movie and, and actually Jimmy Stewart's in the next, the, you know, the sequel to this. Huh. Um, yeah, Jim, so they're, they're, go ahead. Uh, Jimmy Stewart of, uh, what's the one where he forget, he, he wishes he'd never been born fame. Oh, well, well, yeah. Um, is that, that's not miracle. That's, um, it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful uh, life. It's a yeah. it's a wonderful film, uh, one which apparently does not make my list enough because I had forgotten the name of it. But that is a that is a a good a good film in its own regard. A wonderful life, if only because it was made. They almost did not allow Jimmy Stewart in that film because he had prior to filming like so that film was a close after uh, World War II film. Jimmy Stewart uh, quit Hollywood and volunteered uh, to serve in World War II and led a bomber squadron. Uh, and when he came back, he had a severe, uh, severe post-traumatic stress disorder uh, from the experience. And so It's a Wonderful Life is credited as being one of his best performances uh, because as the, his character's life is falling apart, it's not acting. He's channeling his dealing with his own demons uh, in, into the celluloid. So that's a very, it's a phenomenal performance. And that's one of the reasons that it's one of the most memorable uh, and truthfully, one of the most uh, referenced Christmas uh, Christmas films, so it's a wonderful life. Uh, a lot of television shows, uh, Chipmunks in sp- specific is the one I'm thinking of. Do a version of It's a Wonderful Life with their own uh, with their own cast. Uh, famously, uh, make sure to ring a bell this Christmas because every time you uh, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Right, and and yeah, it it definitely belongs on the list. It, people should watch it. it. It's a great movie. Stewart's of course a great actor, and you mentioned yeah he was a 
colonel in there in the U.S. Army Air Force. He did active bombing run, real bombing runs. He wasn't just a actor that was there, you know, for, for looks. He st- actually stayed in the Air Force Reserve afterwards, finally retiring as a major general in 1985. He was one of your few, although there were more back then, he was one of the few Republicans in Hollywood, him and John Wayne. Um, but yeah, S- Stewart was actually a legitimate war hero and, and a great actor. He yep. He's, of course, in so many films. It's, you know, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington be- being a, a sentimental favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Yep. John yep. Wayne did not serve uh, in the military. Correct. He had He had an exemption because he was a single father, um, I believe. I'd have to look that up. I should probably look things up before I say them. But I do remember his exemption was because he had uh, dependent children that no one else could take care of. Uh, but he, he, he did. He s- actually, or well, so he actually wanted, he, you're right, he, he did not serve. He wanted to hook, so he was buddies with um, John Ford. Right, mm-hmm. and it did a lot of movies. John Ford. He wanted to, and and Ford during World War Two made. You know, he worked for the the government, making whatever you know, war films, propaganda films, films for the service members, stuff like that. Right, and he and John Wayne wanted to do that, and it. Mm-hmm. And, and he also made an application with the OSS, which was of course the precursor to, to the CIA. Mm-hmm. But he he never was able to do either of those things. Neither of those worked out. So he um, was by no means not a patriot. It just he just served in a different way, much right. much the same mm-hmm. uh, can be said of Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby was just too young for World War One and just too old for World mm-hmm. War Two. However, uh, he was Bing was actively involved with the USO, and uh, he was credited as being the single most important from a survey of GIs. Bing Crosby was the single most important thing for their morale through. Throughout the uh, throughout the conflict, so there are certainly uh, entertainers and celebrities uh, from that epoch who who had a very positive impact on the outcome, uh, whether they were directly involved, like uh, James Stewart, or not. So. Right. Yeah. Hundred percent. But so a- anyway, the Thin Man movies are definitely worth checking out. Definitely, like say the first three, the first one. You know, get, you know, e- even if initially you're like, what am I watching? Get past that first initial bit, and, and I think I think it'll t- the the charm of it will will take you away. Yeah, and it's so. it's identifiable. Uh, they're drinking their way through problems, just like uh, just like the viewer at home. That's right. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, and there is Jason with another uh, true classic. And uh, so let's see. I'll move in. I'm going to skip my middle pick. So I'll try to get some uh, some street cred. Uh, Emmett the Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Uh, raise your hand, uh, listener, if you've seen this one. Uh, the spoiler-free premise, uh, a family, a poor otter family. Uh, this is, of course, Emmett the Otter is directed by Jim Henson, uh, starring his, some of his usual uh, some of his usual crew, including Frank Oz, uh, who also played Cookie Monster in the original Sesame Street. Uh, I can't think of anything else that he was in, but hopefully the listener will realize will recognize. But yeah, so a, a, the family of otters, uh, mother and son, live in poverty, and they risk everything uh, on a competition to try to win $50, a massive prize. So the first thing that comes to mind watching this film is the second part of what Christmas means is f- uh, family. 
this is a very, very family-friendly film. Uh, my two-year-olds loved this movie. There's a lot of singing. There's a lot of puppets. And it's actually... I think very technically well done. So there's there's a scene where the otters are rowing a rowboat down a river, but they're 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 puppets. And so it's, it's there's a lot of technical expertise that went into this film, a lot of camera tricks because this was made uh, long uh, in the 1970s, long before computers had taken over some of the animation, uh, some of the touch-ups. And so, uh, looking up some trivia, this film was posited by Jim Henson as an experiment. They wanted to see if they could actually execute some of those technical tasks. So this was just prior to the big Muppet movie. So the big, the the arguably the apex of the Muppets uh, as a franchise is the original Muppet movie uh, and this film was a way for Henson and crew to figure out can we actually make uh, that big movie and what they did I think they pulled it off one but two they came out as uh, with it with a honest-to-goodness classic a perfect juxtaposition of uh, the the secular world versus uh, the versus family so and a, and a wholesome, a wholesome film, uh, a general, a genuinely wholesome film that was able to keep my kids' attention. So. Yeah, great movie. Um, unfortunately, the so orig, so originally it had an introduction by Kermit the Frog, who also narrated some scenes. These you, some of those things are now cut, and you know the Muppets have been sold to Walt Disney, mm-hmm. and. Which, I mean, the, the plus of that is now, if you have Disney Plus, you can watch The Muppet Show, the original Muppet Show. All but two episodes are up there, which is great. And the movies and all are up there, which are great. Like The Muppet Christmas Carol, which I'll come back to in a second. But unfortunately, some of these Kermit scenes are still gone from this. You know, in the DVD releases and whatnot, it's, it's actually missing things from the 77 original, which is kind of a shame. The, the other thing I'll point out here is a lot of the songs are done by Paul Williams and and that's a name if people don't know they should know Paul Williams is an amazing songwriter wrote tons of things that you would definitely recognize you've also seen him on the screen as Little Enos and Smokey and the Bandit and as Swan in Phantom of the Paradise and if you haven't seen those two movies you definitely should um, but let's circle back to Muppets so yeah, this this definitely falls. It's a well. So the Jug Band is a like you say. It's it's a great family movie, and you, you know it's entertaining. It's something that sucks you in. You know it's it's kind of a, a twist on the Gift of the Magi, right? To some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but this kind of leads our way when we talk about Muppets to Muppet Christmas Carol. Which is arguably should be on everybody's list as well. Yep, starring yeah. Michael Caine, uh, my mm-hmm. who I will claim as my favorite Scrooge ever. Yeah, it, it, Muppet. I I don't know. I I, I don't know if I. Maybe. Um. I. Hmm. Yeah. I I don't. It, that's a tough one. Michael Caine does a great job. There's no question about that. Well, none I, of the I will say another none of the other Scrooges throw a uh, re, uh, throw a crumpled up Christmas wreath at a singing bunny puppet. That, that's true. Alistair Sim in the fifty one version does a great job. He he made and and he's that that fifty one Christmas Carol is the one, I, which mm-hmm. act is, is the one I watched maybe the most. So that he may be 
my favorite. But I, this is my favorite version of the story, though. The and this the a Muppet Christmas Carol is super duper close. Believe it or not, even though you have Muppets in 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 here, even though Gonzo is the narrator. Of, well, Gonzo is Charles Dickens in this, um, but effectively. But even with all the Muppets and all the shenanigans, this is super close to the actual, you know, to the actual story that Charles Dickens wrote. They lift, they lift um, lines and they and they lift dialogue straight from the story. They don't dumb it down, and it, it's super well done. And there are parts in here, it's it, you go from very lighthearted for kids with the Muppets to some actually serious and maybe not scary but ominous parts of this movie. They, they really do a good job bouncing back and forth in the tone. They do. And it they they keep to the spirit of the film, which is mm-hmm. something a lot of uh, Christmas carols fail to do. Uh, to, to put the, One of the things you have to do when you're remaking a story that's been told so many times is that you have to put something in it to make yours stick out. For example, my father, his favorite Christmas carol is The Stingiest Man in Town. And 1956, so only a couple years after yours, uh, Jason, it was actually a television special that was on NBC at the time. And uh, that it, w- it originally aired in 56. Uh, my dad wouldn't be born uh, for another few years, but it would uh, re- re-air going forward enough for him to see. Uh, some of the narration being done by The Four Lads, a quartet of vocalists and starring Basil Rathbone if I remember correctly the it tells the story of A Christmas Carol but it does so from the wrong perspective so in The Stingiest Man in Town it's it's a musical it's, it's, the point is to sing but it's talking about how Scrooge should be more generous he's too he's too he doesn't spend money he's too stingy that's not where Charles Dickens was going, and that's not what the spirit of Christmas is about. The, uh, the spirit of Christmas is about generosity. The spirit, the spirit of Christmas is the only time of the year where you can, uh, the only time of the year where you can give gifts to other people. You can think about other people, and it's culturally expected of you. So if if in June. I buy a care package and put it on a neighbor's doorstep, uh, people think I'm insane. If I do it in December, then I'm being thoughtful, and they'll reciprocate the favor. So the, so the Muppets Christmas Carol does a very good job of capturing the generosity that surrounds it, because doubling back to faith and family, uh, the, the, the Christmas is important because we give gifts to each other to celebrate the gift that was given to us according to scriptural doctrine. doctrine. And that generosity is what's supposed to roll off on us. And to quote one of the, the songs in the film, the, the message, if we hear it, is to make it last all year. Mm-hmm. There we go. And that's the key, is we, we take the the generosity, the love, the see that we, we can feel for our fellow human beings this time of year and apply it to the rest of our lives. And that is where Charles Dickens was going. He wanted to he wanted you to see other people regardless of their uh, position in life, if they were a lamplighter, if they were a chimney sweep, if they or if they were a business mogul. They were all human and they were all image bearers of the divine. Also, Muppet Christmas Carol, that was 
in an interview with Brian Henson, uh, that was a much needed film for morale on the set of Henson Studios. That was the first major film that they, or the first major project that Henson, uh, uh, Henson's studios did after Jim Henson had passed away. So they weren't sure if they were going to be able to pull it off without his je ne sais quoi on the side. And uh, Brian Henson, uh, Jim's son, is, uh, can be quoted in that documentary as saying that this is his favorite Muppet movie ever. And the reason for it is because they were able to pull off what he considered a very well-done film and what has become a family classic uh, in the spirit and in dedication to his dad, uh, Jim Henson, who is the progenitor of the Muppets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, d- definitely. It, it's definitely a classic. And, and like I say, it, it's by far my favorite version of The Christmas Carol. It's funny you mentioned The Stingiest Man in Town. To minor divert divert yeah M- minor M- minor sorry. divergence you, yeah yeah minor divergence here but to me and, and this will turn off your listeners but <laughs> when, when I think of the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings I don't think of Peter Jackson I think of Rankin and Bass and I think of Ralph Baskey and I think if of the, anybody the, doesn't think of Ralph Baskey I'm okay with them being turned off yeah they're the the seventies versions of those are my go-tos well rankin and bass did in 78 they they redid the stingiest man in town as an animated special with get this water mathow's ebenezer scrooge Mm -hmm. and it was told well it the main narrator here is actually an insect sect named bah humbug who's voiced by tom bosley the father from happy days you know, I have so, seen that, but I did not realize either of those uh, either of those voice actor credits. So I yeah. think the 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 stingiest man in town, the Rankin and Bass version, is uh, I believe on YouTube, just kind of hanging out. And I remember I watched mm-hmm. that uh, with my uh, on my dad's television, on my dad's smart TV. I turned it on, thinking I had found something special for him, and he got a chuckle out of it. So. Uh, that's that's fun. I did not realize that. I'd forgotten the Rankin and Bass connection there. That's interesting interesting to know. Which, mentioning animate, I guess we should give a, a minor nod to other animated things like your, your Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, that whole series with the, not quite claymation, but, you know, but they all go together, right? right. And these are all, I believe, Rankin and Bass. So you have, you, you know, the, the Frosty the Snowman, the, the Rudolph, you have the the ones with um, heat miser and and what's this? What's the cold one? Was it frost? My, you, you know the two that sing I'm with Mr. Mother Nature. Yeah, yeah. Mister Cold Miser, I'm Mister Snow. Do 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 do. Yep. I yeah, those are all, of course, classic Christmas. Um, yeah. Great. It's a fun movie. It's it's mm-hmm. a fun movie to watch, and it's a good one for the little guys. I haven't shown that one to my little guys actually. I wonder if they'll do they'll do for that. I'm actually wearing my uh, so recall the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the Bumble. I'm wearing mm-hmm. I'm wearing my Bumble shirt. Uh, I know the listeners uh, you can't see this, and I think Jason you can't see this either because I never turned on my video for the call. But I am wearing a I, this is my favorite Christmas shirt. It's got it's just a blue shirt with a giant Bumble smiling uh, Bumble head on it, and it's why is it my favorite shirt? Uh, that was the shirt I was wearing when I wheeled my wife out of the recovery room into the infant ICU for her to meet our little boys for the first time uh, in 2015-16. 
2018. Uh, she gave birth on December 11th, but she was unable to meet the boys until December 12th or 13th uh, because she had had a very rough C-section. And so I was wearing that shirt. Uh, I had a little uh, turtleneck on underneath it because uh, the hospitals are cold, uh, apparently. And uh, we rolled her in and she got to meet her little boys for the first time. And so that is, without question, my favorite Christmas t-shirt. Excellent. Yeah, I, I don't have a favorite Christmas shirt, but if I did, it wouldn't match that story. That's for sure. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a new kid coming in in February. We'll have to put on a, a Christmas shirt for that. We'll do, we'll do a simulcast. There we go. Yeah. All right. So uh, I think that was my M at the Otter. Jason, you're up. What's another good one? Well, let's so let's talk about some of these action movies. Um, and, of course, a lot of people are going to go to Die Hard and Lethal Weapon. Some people may even, you know, but we forget these other ones out there. So I'm going to go to Chuck Norris. So Chuck Norris has t two, you know, pretty, well, one pretty good movie and one B movie, slocky movie. So the, the first one that's not horrible is A Force of One from 1979. And in A Force of One, it, we're, we're set in, um, is it, I think it's San Francisco. Is where they're set. I, I should know that, but anyway, it's it's in San Francisco or LA, but they're out there, and somebody it's set during Christmas, and somebody's killing these narcotics officers, and they they decide that well maybe they're using karate to kill them, so they go to a local dojo, and Chuck Norris is there teaching, and he gets roped in the investigation, and and tries to help them find this karate killer, and it, it's you know it's not into Christmas like these other movies we're talking about. Christmas is just the backdrop. But but it's a pretty watchable film. It's it's a serviceable, you know, detective story with, with Chuck Norris running around doing his karate. The other one that he did that's a Christmas movie, and and this is just a, a, a schlocky fun movie, of course, is 1985's Invasion USA, where you, you know, we, we have the the great one of the great screen villains of all time, Richard Lynch who leads an invasion force of, of communists, you know, mainly Latin American guerrillas, but also some Eastern Europeans. But he, he brings them into the U.S. and they, they run around blowing up houses and attacking shopping malls and doing all kinds of crazy things. And, of course, the, only, the U.S. government is helpless to stop them, so Chuck Norris is brought out of retirement to take them out. And he runs around with, you know, with two mini Uzis, a mini Uzi under each arm, and he's you know, takes out this terrorist army by himself. But have you seen either of these movies? Yep, I, I think I have in uh, in the long past. The uh, fun fun factoid, though, in the UK uh, release of Invasion USA, they were robbed of ten seconds of footage. Uh, thankfully, uh, from what I'm reading, the the cuts were restored in 2004. But between 1985 and 2004, an unacceptable 10 seconds were missing, and you had to be in the U.S. in order to see, uh, in particular, two scenes: uh, one where you have a woman snorting cocaine through a straw, but mm -hmm. two where there are some bullet impacts directly to the groin. So, two very uh, important Christmas staples. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that's um, Richard Lynch's. The bad guy's signature move, who do, he and he does that actually to two different characters throughout the movie. He, he, um, Rostov is his character's name. Um, the, 
Invasion USA is not a good movie, but it's it's a uh, let, let's put that out there. This is so Chuck Norris has some good movies. His earlier career, actually, I mean, it depends what you, what you consider good, but he actually his earlier career, I think, is pr- pretty good when he's doing his karate movies and all. But once we hit probably eighty, probably up to Lone Wolf McQuaid. And then after Lone Wolf McQuaid, it really kind of goes downhill. Yeah. Um, the the missing in action movies, while poignant, are you know overacted and not very good. Delta Force or what they are, and then of course we have we we get really go downhill with things like Invasion USA. And once we get in the the Walker Texas Ranger era, mm-hmm. you know, gets yeah. off the rails. I remember but, we watched my bad movie club watched uh, Lone Wolf McQuaid, and it Lone Wolf McQuaid makes for a bad. Uh, makes for a bad bad movie night it there's not mm-hmm. there's nothing to make fun of we we like to watch or liked i don't get to hang out with them anymore um we liked to watch films that you could make fun of with your friends uh that was the joy of b movies for us uh lone wolf McQuaid doesn't provide very much ammunition on that regard uh the movie just kind of goes and and then i picked up one of the uh missing in action movies I say I picked it up. My dad gave it to me, and then I picked it up from under the Christmas tree. But it's still in shrink wrap. I've never, I've never watched it. It's just somewhere on our shelves. They're, they're I mean, effectively, they're Rambo knockoffs, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I guess to kind of bring it, although I, I will say one neat thing about Lone Wolf McQuaid is it's actually based around the story of a of an actual Texas Ranger, super duper duper loosely based. Okay, not it. it not really accurate at all, but but there actually was a, um, a, a a Texas Ranger with the moniker Lone Wolf, and 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 so that movie was loosely based on him. Makes sense, kind of like how yeah. the star the Star Wars A New Hope with its main character Luke is uh, loosely based off of the New Testament, which contains a book called Luke. So. Right, and I'm trying to find it's he was a. Um, Hispanic American, the um, the ranger is based on it. And I'm, All right, and, and I can't anyway. I can't find his, his name right now. So sorry about that. But to, to but to bring this back, since we met, mentioned Stallone, we, we, we talk about these other forgotten movies. Of course, Rocky Four, where, where he goes to Russia, is set during Christmas. S- Spencer over at Keep Off the Borderlands podcast would be happy to know that Brazil, because Spencer's a big Terry Gilliam fan. Brazil is set during Christmas. One of people. Robert De Niro's uh, best roles. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's a Brazil's a. I I don't know if it it really hits my Christmas list, but it definitely is. I mean, and actually, there's a scene where you you know Santa tortures somebody in Brazil. <laughs> so, which, which I I think you have one more pick, and then we'll come back to a, a, another movie I have that was a that that I got cut from my list. But it has some crazy Santa stuff in it. Yep, it does, and I'm I'm over here uh, being happy about uh, Brazil. So we will we will keep to message, and in the spirit mm-hmm. uh, yeah, in the spirit of continuing Christmas, in my now defunct film club, uh, that is, I don't get to watch movies with my old bad movie buddies. <clears throat> uh, one of our Christmas traditions uh, that was the film we watched one Christmas, and then they never watched movies with me again. Um, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Classic film with a massive two-star rating on uh, 
on IMDb. Uh, two stars sharing companies with films like Kurt Cameron Saves Christmas or Super Babies 2, Baby Geniuses, or Baby Geniuses 2, Super Babies. So the basic premise uh, of this film, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, have you seen this one, Jason? I have. You oh, have yes. This? Yeah, it is a classic. Yep, yeah. beautiful. It's 1964 classic film. The Martians kidnap Santa Claus because, lo and behold, the children of Mars have no Santa Claus to give them presents on Christmas Day. Uh, and it's up to two Earth children to fly up and save him. So, let's see. Do you want to know how the children get to Mars, what the Martian children look like, and whether or not uh, Lord Kimar will release Santa Claus back to Earth in time to save Christmas? It uh, looks like you'll have to get this direct to VHS release. That's a lie. It was not direct to VHS. That's just fun to say. Uh, you can uh, you can watch it on Con TV. Sounds about right. I don't know what Con TV is, but you would have to definitely con me into watching it. It's uh, there's a whole bunch of places you can get it, but you can rent it uh, or buy it on Amazon. Uh, in other, oh, it's on Tubi. So that's where I would recommend doing it. Uh, Tubi is an app, uh, TubiTV.com or the Tubi app. I believe it is free to watch. Yeah, it, it's also been covered on, and you can find this on a number of services. Elvira's done it before on her movie Macabre, where in Elvira, she inserts herself here and there in the movies, and, and Rift Tracks has covered it before, so, and as is Mystery Science 3000, Mystery Science Theater 3000. So you can find those versions out there as well. Yeah. So you know it's a, you know it's a good one if uh, the if the satellite alone picked it up. You'll probably cut this, which is fine. But just for com complete a completionist streak in myself, uh, to put out there, the Texas Ranger Captain Wolf McQuaid was based on was Manuel T. Gonzalez. I guess that's how you Man say his last Manuel name. Manuel T. Gonzalez. Got it. Yeah, will, there you I go. I will not cut that. I will leave that in. Yeah, I was, leave that in. There. I was tempted to uh, say we could jump into the Santa Claus Con conquers the Martians monologue because I realize. Yes, uh, I, 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 we could jump into it so that you could look that guy up because I think that's fair. Uh, I think that we, it's good information to have. So, let's yeah. see. Humorously, I noticed whenever I have guests on the show, I catch myself talking entirely too much. <laughs> I like so the, the 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 listeners are here to hear the guests, not to hear my boring old voice. Well, and and hopefully I'm not coming across too broken and stupid. It is pretty early in the morning so yeah, yeah we are as we record yeah we are recording uh, we started recording around 4 30 this morning so jason jason wanted to sleep in so uh, we got started a little late but uh it is like i said a nice and dark morning so that joke i probably should have explained that joke at the beginning of the podcast <laughs> yeah, that's okay it's it's one of those you, you know people have to think about for a minute mm -hmm. so yep it does or an hour as it may be so so that uh, wraps up my picks. Uh, I, uh, I went through Rare Exports, uh, a special B-movie in my heart uh, because it was a gift from my wife uh, that I did not seek out on my own. Uh, Emmett the Otter and A Muppet Christmas Carol, two classics, uh, one of which I believe I actually got to see in theaters. Uh, Muppet Christmas Carol has been in a part of my life for almost as long as my little sister has been a part of my life. Uh, it came out in 1992, and so did she. Uh, and then Santa Claus Conquers the Martians, uh, the 1965 special. Uh, so, 
So we made it through. We made it through what I had planned to talk about. Uh, we made it through some some special other stuff. Uh, Jason, was there some more uh, material or some other films you would like to pipe on right at the end? Well, I I think I put put a bunch in there. Um, of course, your other action ones we won't cover them in depth. But things like Cobra with Sylvester Stallone is a Christmas movie. There, there there are a bunch of great ones out there. But I, I will plug one last one that almost made the list, and it got bumped out because I don't watch it every year. But that's Trancers. Now, Trancers is an 84 movie. It's, it was, this was a direct-to-VHS movie. Um, and it was put out by Charles Band. And you may know Charles Band from, you know, things like Evil Doll or Dolls and, and Evil Toy or Dynamic Toys and Doll Man. Well, this stars Tim Thomerson as Jack Death. It also has a very young Helen Hunt in here. But the idea here is you have a, a policeman from the 23rd century, and they're having problems with this criminal called Whistler who can mind control people and then effectively turn into zombies. Well, he's found a way to project himself back into the past, into the 20th century. So Jack Death has to go back. And the, the way they do time travel in these movies is you don't physically travel back, but you take over the body of an ancestor. Your mind takes over the body of an ancestor, which is kind of fun. Oh, kind of quantum, but, kind of a little bit of quantum leap going on. Yeah, but they can get some physical objects back because he has a little bit of technology. He has his, he, he brings back his, his watch, which lets him do a long second, which stretches out time from one second, makes one second last 10 seconds, which is kind of fun. It's a kind of neat, neat thing you can insert into your RPGs and yep. your games. But yeah, I forgot this it, is a gaming podcast. <laughs> yeah. Nominally, right? Nominally. Um, yeah. But, but so he goes back in time to fight him. And of course this bad guy, Whistler turns people to zombies in the modern day Los Angeles and he's fighting them. And, but, but it's during Christmas and there's a, a great scene where he has to fight a Santa Claus and do some other things. And I, I won't ruin it, but Trancers is actually a pretty good movie for, for the Charles bands, you, you know, for, for that group. It's empire pictures. It's, it's one of their better movies and it's, it's it, it again, it's got real like, actors. Yeah, it, it's got some real actors in there. Well, before they were actors, right? I, I mean, you could say that with, like, Leprechaun. You, you know, it's got Jennifer Aniston before she was... Anybody knew who she was. Mm-hmm. But... Yep. Which is a, for a different holiday. Yep, but, yep for, for a different holiday. So, a little bit of fun yeah. trivia that I remember looking at, at Trancers. It got my attention. I have not seen this film, but uh, the basic tagline is that time-traveling bounty hunter has to take out some uh, zombie-like... Uh, some zombie-like trance folk. And I was like, oh, I'm sold. I need this film in my life. Uh, but a little bit of trivia. Hap Ashby uh, is a, a, mm-hmm. a retired baseball player in the film. Is uh, He's played by Biff Mannard, who was a uh, who was personally recommended by Tim Thomerson for the role to the director. But uh, Mr. Mannard showed up on set blasted. He was he was drunk while he was while he was playing the role. And there are scenes where Tim Thomerson uh, has to manhandle him, and those those are not acting. He is actually manhandling uh, the so the the character uh, is manhandling the the Hap Ashby character, but the actor Tim Thomerson is manhandling Biff Maynard. And the reason that that got into the film is because Biff was drunk enough that he didn't know where he was supposed to go on set. <laughs> Right. Yeah. And, and unlike some others, like say this has Santa Claus, it also has like a little three wise men scene in there and and some other things. So this actually has more Christmas than than a lot of the movie, Chris, quote unquote Christmas movies do. 
mm-hmm. b- believe it or not. Um, it's just a fun film, and it's better quality than a lot of these direct to VHS movies were. Yeah. I, I mean, don't 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 get your expectations too high, <laughs> but it's it, it's definitely worth watching. There's like nine more transfer movies. I don't know if they're all worth. Well, I have seen them all, but I, I, I wouldn't say they're all worth watching. But I would say this one is worth – the first one is worth watching. Yep. It is uh, Trancers, uh, also released as Future Cop. The first one is worth mm-hmm. watching. You can do yep. – if I ever make a tagline – or if, if I ever make a movie, Jason, you get to do my taglines. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Clerics Wear Ring Mail, the movie. It's almost yeah. worth watching. Yeah. There, so there's like so it. many – yeah, you might like it. There, there – there are so many movies we could talk about, but I think we've we've maybe brought up a couple things that listeners haven't seen, hopefully, <laughs> and, and given them a couple things to track down. Yep, given them a couple things to track down and uh, given them a bit, <clears throat> given them a bit to listen to. So, uh, I do want to thank you, Jason, for coming on. Uh, thank you for sharing uh, the experience with me and sharing some of these movies that I had not seen uh, that I get to track down myself. And uh, thank you for putting up with my crazy schedule. Uh, this was supposed to have been recorded and released. Uh, I think actually, truthfully, it's coming out at right the right time. Uh, but we were supposed to record this last week. Uh, but I've had a bit of a hard time with work and life lately. Uh, my twins are... It is is busy season where I work, but on top of it, uh, my boys are potty training and giving their mom a hard time. She can't chase them around uh, because she has a bit of extra weight going on into the third trimester. So I'm having to do a lot more at home. But so Jason, I want to say thank you for putting up with my insane schedule to get together and uh, and get this recorded. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to do it. Yep. Yep. I had a lot of fun. And hopefully, yeah, you guys, the listeners, uh, you had a lot of fun too. Uh, happy Christmas. Yep. Merry Christmas, everybody. Music used for the Clerics Wearing Mail podcast is adapted from Pursuing Darkness by artist X Take Rux, released into the public domain and made available on freemusicarchive.org. Sound effects used in the making of this product retrieved from mixkit.co, used under the mixkit sound effects free license, or from soundj.com and used in accordance with the soundj.com terms of use. Segments recorded within a vehicle are recorded using a Bluetooth hands-free device in conjunction with local vehicular safety legislation. The Clerics Wearing Mail podcast is an independently owned and operated product released for educational and informative purposes under the Totally Steal This license, which is kind of like Creative Commons except licensing. Clerics Wearing Mail does not ascribe to nor endorse views or opinions expressed by call-ins, guests, or even the host unless you think they're awesome, and thus does not assume any liability regarding the consumption or distribution of this podcast. By listening to the Clerics Wearing Mail podcast, you agree to the provided term. Parties with questions regarding these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to reach out to Clerics Wearing Mail at the prescribed methods provided on the Clerics Wearing Mail blog. Parties dissatisfied with these terms, conditions, or releases are encouraged to go suck an egg.